open your Bibles this morning, please, to uh, Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8, as we continue our study in the book of Esther. And as you can tell, if you're uh, looking ahead, we're almost uh, getting to the very end of the book. It's been a uh, blessing to me personally. I hope it has been uh, to you as we've been studying together uh, the book of uh, Esther in uh, this series for such a time as this. And we find ourselves this morning in Esther chapter 8. And uh, while you're finding that, I'll let you know I was reading this past week a little book uh, that John Maxwell wrote called Three Things Successful People Do. Three Things Successful People Do. Now, John Maxwell is known the world over uh, as a leadership expert, uh, but many people may not realize that uh, John was and still is a pastor. Uh, He is, of course, out uh, teaching leadership and doing all kinds of things, but he's still listed as a teaching pastor at Christ Fellowship Church in Florida. And I mention that fact to you because I want you to know that what I'm about to tell you that is shared in the book does not come from a worldly person, but from a Christian pastor. I believe it makes a world of difference to consider someone's outlook and someone's worldview when they're trying to define success. Why? Well, success for a Christian and a non-Christian should be different. Uh, success for a Christian and a non-Christian should be different. Why? Well, because Christ makes a difference. Uh, biblical truth makes a difference. And so John Maxwell, who is a pastor, more so known as a leadership expert, after studying 25 years the topic of success, he developed the following definition. And I want to share it with you this morning. He said success is knowing your purpose in life, growing to reach your maximum potential and sowing seeds that benefit others. Let me say it again. Knowing your purpose in life. Growing to reach your maximum potential and sowing seeds that benefit other. And it's note, it's important to notice as you read his definition of success that he emphasizes in the book as well that this success is a journey, not a destination. It's not a point you reach. It's a journey. It's things that you're doing. He says no matter how long you live or what you decide to do in life, you will never exhaust your capacity to grow toward uh, your potential Or run out of opportunities to help other people. Uh, So it's important. I like that definition. Uh, We know from the Bible that all that we do is to bring honor and glory to God. Uh, That is our ultimate purpose in life. To know God and to bring glory to Him. But God has some things He wants you to do. Specifically, personally. God has some things that He wants me to do. And so one of the areas of success is to know your purpose in life. Yes, to glorify God, but to know what it is that God has called you to do. I think about my own life for a moment. I just speak out of my own experience because I don't know everybody's story here. But I know there are some things right now. Uh, one of the purposes in life is I'm to be uh, the husband to my wife, Danielle. I'm to be Gideon and uh, Gabriel and Graham's father. Uh, right now, God's purpose is me to be the shepherd of this flock and the pastor of this church. There are specific things within God's will for me. There are specific things for God's life for you that God wants you to do, to know your purpose in life. And it's a journey, not a destination. Uh, To grow to your maximum potential, to grow into what you can be and what you uh, can be as God helps you. And we know ultimately that God is, as believers, he's growing us and making us to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then I love the last part, sowing seeds that benefit others. That is being there to help and bless and minister to other people. And we do all of that to the glory. I would add to the definition, the last part, success is knowing your purpose in life, growing to reach your maximum potential, sowing seeds that benefit others all to the glory of God. I'd add that part on, uh, but he didn't ask me, so I didn't. Now, you might be thinking, uh, what does this have to do with Esther, preacher? I mean, think about it. Uh, We're up to chapter eight in the book of Esther. We're talking about success. Why? Well, I believe we see those three things in the life of Esther. And I believe we see those three things in the life of Mordecai. And I think we're going to see it even more fully today uh, as we study here in uh, Esther chapter 8. Now, let me just refresh your memory. Uh, If you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been gone, or maybe you were sleeping last week or a couple weeks ago. uh, You remember now that Esther, she has risen from being an orphan Jewish girl. That was brought up by her older cousin, Mordecai. She's now the queen of the kingdom. And not only that, she's grown in her potential and sown seeds in the life of other people as she has saved her cousin Mordecai. I mean, the evil Haman, the enemy of the Jews, was going to hang her cousin Mordecai. And he's also issued a law, an edict, that all the Jews are going to die. And uh, so we find the story here uh, that wicked Haman, the enemy of the Jews... The one who issued the law that all the Jews would be killed. He's just been outed by Esther. He's been hanged on the very gallows that he built to hang uh, Mordecai on. So Haman is no more. We saw the end of Haman. Now you want to read at this point in the story. And they all lived happily ever after. That's what you want to read. But beloved, this is not a Disney movie. This is real life. And they have an issue here because while Haman is dead, his law is still alive and his law is still in effect. And being the law of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be changed. And it seems like a hopeless situation. But, beloved, I'm here to tell you that God specializes in hopeless situations. Uh, He's not handicapped by hopeless situations. Instead of hopelessness here, we find that God brings about provision and God brings about promotion and God brings about protection for the Jews. In fact, in these 17 verses we're going to study today here in chapter eight, they're going to go from weeping to dancing. They're going to go from heaviness to lightness. They're going to go from death to life and they're going to go from sorrow to joy. What a difference the Lord makes. And by the way, you can make the same difference in your life. He can make the same difference in your family, the same difference in your situation, the same difference in your hopeless situation, because God specializes in hopeless situations. So let's jump in today because I'm excited about what God has for us here. And I want you to notice there, beginning at verse one, I want you to notice provision. God brings about provision. Look at verse one of Esther chapter eight on that day. What day? The day that Haman was hanged. The day the enemy of the Jews was done away with. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. Now, Haman was just bragging the day before about how great he was. Do you remember that? We went back to chapter 5. He was just bragging about about how wonderful he was. In Esther chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. 
Here's what it says. Then Haman told them, his wife and his friends, of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Verse 12 of Esther chapter 5. Moreover, Haman said, beside, uh, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. Little did he know. That would be his last banquet. And tomorrow, I am again invited by her. Here's the last banquet along with the king. And now, he's dead. And all those riches that he bragged about, they're given to his enemies. Specifically given to Esther. And uh, Esther finally comes completely clean. She's already revealed finally that she's a Jew. And now she reveals to the king that Mordecai is not just an excellent servant. He's not just loyal to you, O king. He's, in fact, my older cousin. And, in fact, he's my father in many ways. Uh, He helped raise uh, me. So we find here provision. Now, secondly, we find promotion. Look at verse 2. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now, what a difference a day makes. Here's Mordecai. Mordecai should be hanging on Haman's gallows, but instead he's honored with Haman's job. And Haman's hanging on his own gallows. Now think about that. What a difference a day makes. Mordecai is given the signet ring. That is, he's made prime minister, if you will. He's appointed, as you see, over Haman's estate. Now, I have weird thoughts sometimes. You ever have weird thoughts? And I'll just admit to you a weird thought that I had as I was studying this. Never thought about it before. Now, he's put over Haman's estate. I wonder, did Mordecai, did he tear down the gallows in the backyard or did he leave them standing? I wonder if he didn't leave them standing, just go out there once in a while and just look up and say, wow. Now, I was supposed to hang on that. I was supposed to be on there. But God intervened. God made a difference. I don't know. I just wonder that if he left those uh, gallows up in the backyard. But as great as all this is, there's provision, there's promotion. And here you have Queen Esther and here you have Mordecai. He's now prime minister. He's got the signet ring and he's got fancy clothes and all these uh, responsibilities. And he's somebody now, but there's still a huge problem. Look at verse three. Now, Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet and implored him with tears To counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Verse 4, and the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, shows acceptance, uh, shows that he's willing to hear her. Uh, So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, if it pleases the king, if I found favor in his sight and the thing seems right to the king and I'm pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. Verse six, listen to Esther's heart. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Her heart is pouring out. Yes, she's the queen. Yes, she's there. But her heart is breaking over a people that are condemned to die. Verse 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew. I love that. Have you noticed when it mentions Haman, it says Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And it mentions Mordecai, it says the Jew. He's still standing. Indeed, I've given Esther the house of Haman. And they've hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. Now, here's verse eight. Here's what the king says to Esther and to Mordecai. 
You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. You've got my ring right on your hand, uh, Mordecai. That's my signature. You seal it with that ring. Now notice the last part of verse 8. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. No one. So we move now, beloved, from provision and promotion to protection. Now, they cannot reverse the edict. And they cannot erase the edict. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. The king himself just says, listen, it was written, it was sealed, you can't change it. So they could not reverse it or erase it, but they could empower the Jews to oppose it and defend themselves against this evil edict. Now, before I read to you, before we read together the edict that they wrote, the new one, I want to remind you of the previous one, the one that evil Haman had written. If you want to go back in your Bible there, you'll find it in chapter 3. I want to point it to you, verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. And here's what the first one said. This is the one she's crying about. She's weeping over. It's still over her people, the Jews. Chapter 3, verse 13. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces. Now watch. Here's what it said. To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate, very strong, all the Jews. And just so you're not mistaken, all the Jews, both young and old, Little children and women in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. And now we're going to read the new one that's going to counteract that and oppose that one. So go back to today's passage, chapter 8, verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month. So they've been living under this for some time already, which is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language and to the Jews in their own script and language. Verse 10. And he wrote in the name of the king of Hazarerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horseback riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. Verse 11, by these letters, the king, now watch it, permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives. Now, see if these words sound familiar to you. Next part of verse 11, to destroy, kill and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them. See if these sound familiar, both little children and women and to plunder their possessions. Verse 12. On one day in all the provinces, the king of Hazarus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers, verse 14, who rode on royal horses, went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel. Did you notice in verse 11 how this new edict, this new law, almost counteracted the old one, almost word for word? To destroy, to kill, annihilate, almost word for word. Now imagine you're a Jew for a moment. 
Imagine you've been living for some time now under a death sentence. There's a day circled in your calendar. And that circled date is the day of your extermination. It's the day that others are coming against you. And suddenly there you are laboring under this heavy burden. You know that your life is going to be taken from you. Suddenly the king's horsemen. The early Pony Express, they ride into town here, and the couriers ride into town with another announcement, another edict. Now remember, there is no Facebook, and there's no Twitter, and there's no evening news, uh, there's no Charlotte Observer. You probably know very little of anything about all that's taking place, maybe back at the Capitol. And now here's another law from the king. And then you're a Jew there. And as a Jew, you can hardly believe your ears. Here's what you hear. I'm going to summarize it for you. Fight back. Defend yourself. Don't take the assault lying down. Gather together and fight for your lives. Fight for your family. Fight for your people. Don't take it. Dish it out. That's what it's saying basically, right? Defend yourselves. Defend yourselves against any. Now, he's not saying go out and destroy people. He's just saying what? If they come against you, you can defend yourself. You can defend your lives. Talk about hope. Talk about hope. Talk about relief. You've been laboring under this burden of knowing that your life was gone, knowing they're going to take your life from you, knowing they're what's waiting, looking at you like a big lion with a piece of steak, because they're going to kill you and they're going to take your stuff. And now here's a law that says, listen, fight back. How would they respond? Well, look at verse 15. It tells us verse 15. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king. In royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold, probably better translated a gold turban and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. God had not only protected his people, he'd honored his people. He promoted them. And look at verse 16 and 17. The Bible says the Jews had light and gladness, joy and and honor and in every province and city wherever the king's command to decree came the Jews had joy and gladness a feast and a holiday a good day then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon him now brother think about that think about that what a difference a day has made what a difference the lord has made in the life of these people to go from all of this heavy and, and sorrow and, and death sentence, not a light and joy and gladness and a holiday and hope. Because God has made a way. God was working behind the scenes. God has slipped his hand into the glove of history and he's arranging things to bring about the protection of his people, the promotion of his people, the provision for his people. I find it interesting as I try to read widely this past week, I was reading In one of Charles Stanley's newer books called Waiting on God, Uh, the subtitle is Strength for Today and Hope for Tomorrow. And I'm early on in the book and and in the portion I was reading was talking about God's um, uh, how God has taken care of his people, Israel. And he kind of traced the steps going back to Abraham and going through looking at how God's people, uh, the Israelites, have been under attack and how God has kept his promise to Israel and preserved Israel throughout the centuries. In fact, he goes in great detail, far greater detail than I would share with you uh, here today. And we don't have time. to. But he goes in great detail about how God has preserved and all the different situations and circumstances. But uh, here's what he said. I want you to hear this part. 
He said no other nation in history, no other nation in history has ever come back into existence after disappearing from the world stage for 19 terrible affliction filled centuries. But Israel did no matter how horrific the persecution or intensely the wicked tried to exterminate them. Abraham's descendants maintained their identity, survived, and have come back stronger and more fruitful than ever. He goes on to say, so, as scripture instructs, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122.6. By the way, we're told to pray for Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He says, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the salvation of the Jewish people. Because that is what is important to our Savior's heart. He writes, I hope you will too. May they realize their Messiah has come and that he loves them dearly. But listen to the next part. But perhaps you're wondering, what does all this have to do with me? Maybe you're thinking the same thing as we study Esther. What does all this have to do with me? Well, listen to what he said. Simply this. The Jewish people are Abraham's physical children. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're Abraham's spiritual offspring. As we're told in Galatians 3, 6 and 7, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. I hope you realize today, according to the scripture, you're a spiritual offspring of Abraham. Now, listen to the last last part he wrote. In fact, I want to show it to you. If the Lord has done so much for the people of Israel who have not yet accepted Christ, you know, there's so many of the Jews, they've not, they're not Messianic Jews, they've not received Him as Messiah and Lord and Savior. If the Lord has done so much for the people of Israel who have not yet accepted Christ, how much more will He do for a person who eagerly loves and serves Jesus? Take a moment and process that. Look at how He's preserved the Jewish people. Look at how He's preserved Israel. And and so many of them have rejected Jesus, rejected the Messiah, and yet he's been so faithful to them. If, If so, beloved, how much more will he do for those of us who eagerly love and serve Jesus? The passage before us today and the whole book of Esther reminds us of the faithfulness of God. We sang about that today. Great is thy faithfulness. Never once did we ever walk alone. And beloved, though the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, you won't read God's name in the book of Esther. His fingerprints are all over it. His fingerprints are all over it. As sovereign God, he slipped his hand into the glove of history. And just as he's been faithful to preserve his precious people, the Jews, he's also faithful to preserve us, his children. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Beloved, I want to say today, and please catch this. Please catch it. Our God is forever faithful. Our God is forever faithful. We sang this this morning. You may not have realized it's in the book of Lamentations. Now, I don't know how many of you are hanging out in Lamentations. I would doubt many people have hung out much lately in the book of Lamentations. And that's maybe not anybody's favorite book, but... You sang about it today. You sang some truth from Lamentations. You can jot this reference down. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Here's what it says. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. 
But yet I'm sure there are those wondering and thinking, well, yeah, preacher, things turned out great for Esther. And things turned out great for Mordecai and things turned out wonderful for the Jewish people of that time. But preacher, you don't know my situation. You don't know what my family is facing. Um, To be honest, things are not turning out real happy in my life right now. Uh, In fact, time is up. Maybe some would even say hopelessness has set in. Maybe some would even say, well, listen, preacher, in actuality, hopelessness has even given way to death in certain situations. And maybe you're there today and you're wondering, what about God's faithfulness in my life? I mean, I know he's faithful to the Jews and, and I read scripture and I, and I see stories and I hear other testimonies that he's faithful. But you don't know my story. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I'm going through. And, and I'm not sure about God's faithfulness to me. Well, beloved, I've got a good word for you today. If that's you. In fact, I was, as I was studying, I ran across what Warren Wearsby said, and he had some encouraging words. And maybe that's you today. Listen to what he said. God doesn't always give this kind of happy ending to everybody's story. That's true, isn't it? Not everybody gets the happy ending. Um, sometimes cancer leads to death. Sometimes disease leads to death. Sometimes there are accidents. There's sorrow. There's divorce. There's heartache. There's hardships. God doesn't always give this kind of happy ending to everybody's story. Today, not all of faithful Christians are promoted and given special honors. Some of them get fired because of their stand for Christ. We see that in our own nation, don't we, all the time. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who try to stand for right righteousness and they're attacked and they're maligned and they're slandered. But listen to what he says. God hasn't promised that we'll be promoted and made rich. But he has assured us that he's in control of all circumstances and that he will write the last chapter of the story. If God doesn't promote us here on earth, he certainly will when we get to glory. Isn't that a good word to know that God's going to write the last chapter of the story? And God doesn't always give the happy ending here. But listen, if you're a Christian, you're going to live happily ever after. That's a good word, beloved. God isn't done. God isn't through. God's in control. Don't grow weary. Don't grow discouraged. God's going to write the last chapter of the story. He's going to write the last chapter of your story, believer. And there's going to be a happy ending. We're going to spend eternity with him in glory. Now, let's come full circle. We started out by talking about success. And true success. And we said that success is knowing your purpose. And growing to your maximum potential. And sowing seeds that benefit others. I believe Esther knew true success. She found her purpose. She ended up as queen of the kingdom, but ultimately she was queen of the kingdom. Why? Because God was going to use her to save the Jewish people. We see her growing to her maximum potential as she moves from a little timid, it seems like, young lady to a strong, courageous lady with convictions, willing to lay her life down upon the line for other people. And we see her sowing seeds that benefited others. How? Because she not only saved uh, herself and saved her cousin Mordecai, she was able to be used to save the entire Jewish nation in that kingdom. 
She knew true success. We see the same thing in the life of Mordecai. Mordecai found his purpose. He's eventually exalted to serve as prime minister. We see him growing in his potential uh, to be a powerful ruler for the Lord. And then we see him sowing seeds that benefit other people. Esther was a success and Mordecai was a success in that regard. Now, what about you? What about you? God has a purpose for your life. Ultimately, our purpose is what? To bring honor and glory to him. But God has a purpose for your life. And God wants you to grow to reach your maximum potential. And God wants you to minister and benefit other people. God is faithful. Now, here's the question. Will we be faithful? Will we be faithful to accomplish what God has called us and equipped us and made us to do? To follow his plan for our lives with his help. We say, preacher, how do I do that? Well, it begins with salvation. You're never going to know your true purpose in life and be able to live a true, successful life if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So you must repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. And then you continue as you seek to follow his will and his word throughout your life. And so I ask you, that: number one, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you sure about it? Are you certain that if you die today, you'd be asked to the body to be present with the Lord? If not, today's the day to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Then you say, well, preacher, I'm saved. Let me ask you this. Are you surrendered to God's plan for your life? Are you surrendered to God's plan for your life? I didn't say your plan. I said God's plan. Have you come before the Lord and said, Lord, here am I. I want to fulfill the purpose that you created me for. I want to know exactly what it is that you have. I want to obey you. And by the way, you come surrendering first. You don't come like this. A lot of people come like this. Well, Lord, would you just tell me what you want me to do? And then I'll make up my mind whether I want to do it. No, it doesn't work that way. You come and you say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Use my life. I give my life to you. You want to treat it like some have. You just sign a blank contract, if you will. It's blank. You just sign your name and say, Lord, you fill it in. I'm giving you my life. Are you surrendered to follow his plan for your life? If not, why not today? Why not seek true success? To know your purpose in life. To grow to your maximum potential. To sow seeds in the life of other people. All for the honor and glory of the Lord. All done in his strength, not ours. To magnify Jesus and make him known. To know God. To live for his honor and glory. And to fulfill the purpose that he has for your life. Like Esther. Like Mordecai. And like our Savior Jesus. He did what God sent him to do. Father, thank you. For your word. Thank you for this account. Thank you for your faithfulness, O God. We know the only reason we can ever know any kind of happiness or wholeness or help or hope is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you provided the way, the truth and the life as we studied about today in Sunday school, the Lord Jesus. And because we know him now, we can fulfill our purpose in life. We can grow in our potential and we can minister and bless other people. Father, I pray if anyone here does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray this will be the moment that they turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ. And then, Lord, for those who do know him, 
Maybe some even wrestling today. Would they come and say, here is my life. I lay it on the altar, Lord. And I want to be used for your honor and your glory. I want to know true success. I want to bring glory to God and fulfill the purpose that he's given for my life. So now, Father, I pray that you'll bless this invitation. Get your will accomplished and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, beloved, is number 52. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. And as we sing, the altar is open and the invitation is twofold today. Number one, if you need to be saved, we would invite you to come. We'd love to welcome you and pray with you and lead you to the cross. And then secondly, if you know Christ today and maybe God's dealing in your heart about something, maybe an area you need to surrender, uh, maybe something you need to lay down, maybe something you're struggling with, wrestling with, would you come today and give it to him and lay it on the altar and say, Lord, I want to know. I want to know and fulfill your purpose in my life. So we have time to come and sing and do business with God today. As we stand and sing 52, he leadeth me on blessed thought. The altar is open. You come. 52, let's stand and sing.